0: Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, so glad to have you with us. All right, I need some volunteers to start off the program. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here is Here is the only thing you need to participate as a volunteer. Have you, at some point in time in your life, hired an attorney? And it it can be for anything. There's all sorts of reasons to hire attorneys. Maybe you went through a divorce, so you needed an attorney to do that. Maybe you had an attorney draw up a will or or manage a trust for you. Maybe you were buying a piece of property. Maybe you were, I don't know, driving along and somebody rear-ended you. Well, there's all sorts of reasons why you would hire an attorney. doesn't particularly matter. I just would like you to volunteer. I have a question or two to ask you. If you have, in fact, in the past used an attorney for something or other, 414-799-1620, that is the AccuNet mortgage talk and text line. Now, I realize there's lots of people who go through life and, and just never come into contact with attorneys. You don't get involved in automobile collisions or accidents or you don't use attorneys to buy property or you don't get divorced or you don't get picked up for drunk driving. But I know there's a lot of other people who do use attorneys. And this is from my perspective as a recovering attorney. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Need some volunteers? Grew is lining up the calls. Let's start with Sean in Brookfield. Sean, good afternoon. Hi there. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Okay, have you hired an attorney an attorney in the past?
1: Well, I had a bad year one year and not a bad year overall, but just in general, I had to have three all at the <laughs> same time for three different complete matters.
0: Okay, pick Now let just just pick one and just tell me generally what what type of matter was it? Was it an automobile? Was it an automobile accident? Was it a criminal charge? Was it a divorce? Just just pick one and tell me.
2: One of the three was a
1: job career change that involved non-compete
0: okay all right okay good enough that's all that's all i need to know so you you hire an attorney who is going to litigate the issue for you i presumably you wanted to get out of your non-compete correct okay all right so once you hire the attorney you go would i be correct to say you sit down with him and you have a a le- you're telling him about it you give him the documents you tell him what your understanding was you have a lengthy conversation with him about your particular case right correct and he asks he or she i don't know if it was a he or she the, the attorney will ask you a series of questions and you answer them honestly right right all right how would you have felt If I don't know, three weeks after meeting that attorney and hiring him to represent you, you found out the attorney was, say, in a local bar or restaurant or something, telling everybody about, you know, what you told him and about your case. How would you feel about that?
2: I would say he's unscrupulous.
0: Okay, All right. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Rick in Muskego. Rick, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Rick, 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 Rick. Okay, let's try Tom in Random Lake. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Okay, you've hired an attorney in the past?
2: Uh, a couple times, same attorney, yes.
0: Okay, p- p- pick one, what type of case? What 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 did you hire the attorney to do for you?
2: Uh, the last sighting uh, problem on a, on a house purchase uh okay issues
0: right okay so you've got a you've got a consumer transaction problem all right so again you you go in you sit down and you talk to the attorney was it a man or a female it was a male or female Uh, man okay so you talk to the attorney he presumably asks you all sorts of questions and says hey i i need you I, i need you to be perfectly honest with him and and you tell him all the details of the transaction everything at least from your perspective that happened right
3: Absolutely.
0: Okay. are Were you depending on him? Did you count on him to at least keep his mouth shut? Would you have been surprised and disappointed if you found out that, I don't know, three weeks later, he's at the local bar and he's talking about your case with some of his buddies? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You would be mad as heck. Oh, for sure. Well, again, because, I mean, mean, part of it is you you need to have that trust with your attorney. The attorney says, hey, look, if I got to help you, I got to know all the facts about this particular case. Tell me everything. Don't try to hold back. And if you think it's something that makes you look bad, I need to know that, too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay, thanks for the call. Let's see. Let's talk to um, Bill in Oshkosh. Bill, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jeff. How are you doing?
0: I am well, thank you. You have hired an attorney in the past?
2: Yeah, 12 years ago when I went through a divorce.
0: Okay. All right. Good. Good example. All right. So you're going through the divorce. Did you have a male or a female attorney? I had a male attorney. Okay, okay. It was a guy. I'm just, I just want to make sure I get the gender right. Okay, so you, you hire him to represent you. Presumably, you sit down and you, you go every you go through everything. You honestly tell him about your finances. You tell him about what's important to you. I don't know if there are kids involved, whether you want custody, what it is that you want. You, I mean, you, you go through minute details of, of your life with the attorney, right?
2: Pretty much so, Jeff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. Same question. I asked the last couple of guys. If you had found out, I don't know, three weeks later that that the lawyer was in a restaurant or at a party or something and he was telling everybody about you, Bill, your your case, you're not going to believe what Bill told me or this is how much money he has or whatever. How would you feel if the guy did that? I
2: would confront him face to face and tell him he's fired.
0: Right, and and unethi- You would you would think it's unethical. It's sleazy, and, and and it would it would probably cause you to lose a lot of faith in attorneys. Right.
2: Well, I don't know so much about that. That sounds <laughs> like a blanket coverage, Jeff. But yeah. I would definitely tell him uh, I will hire another attorney. Right and sue you for violation of attorney, attorney
0: client, client privilege
2: liability. yeah
0: got it okay thanks for the call okay one more call on this way mark in manitowoc mark good afternoon you're on wtmj
2: mark uh yeah I, i've hired an attorney before um we have in front of my dad's state we, we had some land that he had put in with trust and uh the corruption in illinois let me tell you knows no bounds we <laughs> okay. asked that attorney to so to hold the judge accountable who was the guardian ad litem okay. for our estate at one point okay and so you got i
0: got it, it. You're right you you've got a you've got a, a dispute over you know trusts and how how something like that was handled if you found out that attorney that you were hired was essentially talking out of school was telling all sorts of people about the personal and private details that you had confided in him my assumption is you'd be mad as heck
2: absolutely and actually we filed mandamus with the illinois supreme court and we filed mandamus with the u.s supreme court and this is still in litigation
3: yeah,
0: and okay.
2: these people will be held accountable
0: good enough okay thanks for call i'll tell you where i'm going with this in, in just a second but there there were four or five calls people from all different walks of, of, of life who had all sorts of different things whether it was trust in estates or divorce or uh, a dispute over you know home improvements all of them hired attorneys with a certain expectation. Stick around, Twelve sixteen. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I'll tell you the last time I hired an attorney, and the other people were sharing that, and I haven't had to hire too many in the course of a lifetime, but after my first wife passed away, I realized, hey, I better set up a trust, because, you know, what happens if I get hit by a bus or something like that? So I Found a very very good lawyer and sat down and we had about an hour and a half meeting and said okay th- this is this is the this is the money I have and this is where it is and th- this is what I want to do with it and this is how you know this is who I want to be the administrator administrator of the trustee and if something happens to them this is who I want and you know we, we set it all up and then um, my wonderful wife came new wife came into my life and so I had to go back and kind of readjust all that that type of stuff given the new change in circumstances. But and to the point that I, I was asking a number of callers, if I found out that my lawyer was in a bar three or four weeks after one of our meetings saying, hey, guess what? That radio guy, Jeff Wagner, he 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 was in. And and, and guess what? You, you know, here, here's you know, here's who he's picked. And, and this is why he wanted, you know, certain amount of money in his trust to go somewhere. So I, if I would I would feel so incredibly violated. That, you know, you, you just want to go, what? And that's why attorney-client privilege is so important. Now, I, I understand that there was technically a waiver here. I have been watching the Michael Cohen testimony. And we're going to open up the phone lines with the larger reaction. But, but here is my first opinion, and I understand this comes from my perspective as a recovering lawyer. This is a terrible day for the legal profession. It's a terrible day for the legal profession because any reputable attorney, and that's not Michael Cohen, any reputable attorney depends on the whole notion of attorney client privilege and the idea that, you know, if, if you're going to represent somebody, you are going to do so to the best of your ability and you are going to keep their confidences. Now, I, I watched the entire statement and a good chunk of, of the testimony this morning. Um, Some of it is related to, I don't know, issues that might arguably be of of interest to a House committee with regard to, um, uh, you know, potential impeachment actions or whatever. You know, did did the president know anything about the Russian investigation? You know, maybe the WikiLeaks stuff, maybe the the Stormy Daniels payments, although I kind of doubt that. But then you look at what a lot of the majority of Cohen's testimony has been about and it's been it's been score settling i mean it's been all right uh, trump used threats to keep his academic record secret i think he's a con man now he's talking about his client or at least his former client when i say con man i'm talking about a man who declares himself brilliant but directed me to threaten his high school his colleges and the college board to never release his grades or sat scores what what responsible attorney does does that i mean breaks that that breach of trust. Trump regularly derided African Americans. He once asked me if I could name a country run by a black person that wasn't then he uses a word that I can't use on the radio. This was when Barack Obama was president of the United States. Okay, what 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 attorney Decides to go go public and and say stuff about this about his clients. When he was telling me in 2008 he was cutting employees' salaries in half, including mine, he showed me what he claimed was a $10 million IRS tax refund, and he said that he could not believe how stupid the government was for giving someone like him that much money back. Um, Okay. Again, you're you're the guy's lawyer, for goodness sakes, and you're taking money and you've got that that duty. And, and here you've decided, well, now this is my 15 minutes of fame and I'm going to go voice this. Um Trump claimed his Vietnam draft deferment was because of a bone spur. But when I asked for his medical records, he gave me none and said there was no surgery. OK, what? Get, what what attorney I mean you're, you're representing the guy he's your client and you decide that this is you know how how you want to go out um, Trump did not think he would win the presidency. Donald Trump is a man who ran for office to make his brand great, not to make our country great. He had no desire or intention to lead this nation, only to market himself and to build his wealth and power. Mr. Trump would often say this campaign was going to be the greatest infomercial in political history. He never expected to win the primary. He never expected to win the general election. The campaign for him was always a marketing opportunity. Oh, Okay, again, all this might be true, by the way. It it might all be true, but this is this guy's lawyer, at least his former lawyer and and these, this is information that you glean in the context of representing him. Now, I sent out a tweet. You can, by the way, follow me at Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner six twenty earlier today, and it, it kind of summarizes my whole reaction to this thing, which is a, a, really it's kind of like a pox on on all their houses, regardless of the politics. What does it say about Donald Trump? that he decided to associate with a genuine sleazebag like Michael Cohn in the first place. You you can argue that these two people deserve each other, but my initial reaction, and again, this comes from my perspective as a recovering lawyer, is this is a bad day for the practice of law because I'm just picturing all sorts of people out there saying, hey, you know, what if – Now, I'm not going to be the president of the United States, but what if my attorney decides to break bad on me because we get into a fee dispute or I fire him? You know, is he not going to be testifying in front of Congress, but is now he going to be running around talking about all these things that I said to him when he was representing me as the attorney? And I understand there was technically a waiver of attorney-client privilege, but I'm watching this whole thing thinking that this is not – If you take away the politics, this underlying thing of an attorney gratuitously deciding, I'm going to tell the world what I think about this guy that I took tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars in fees for, it is not a pretty sight. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the Accurate mortgage talk and text line. One of the things that I have noticed is that um, the Republicans who are on the committee are I think doing a very good job of pointing out that Michael Cohn is a sleazebag, and he is a convicted, you know, perjurer. All right, which, which th- that's fine. What I don't think anybody's really doing is doing a very good job of of disputing the underlying factual content of of what he is saying. In other words, these things, these meetings that he's talking about, et cetera, et cetera. My general sense is he's probably accurately describing those. Now, like I say, most of it, or at least a good portion of it, is all the stuff on on the periphery. Well, you know, he told me this about dodging the draft, or, you know, he told me, you know, that he got this $10 He can't believe the IRS would send somebody like him money back. You know, clearly things that are embarrassing if the president said them. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, all it says is that, well, OK, Donald Trump is on a business level and on a personal level he's the guy that a lot of us thought he was 4147991620 that is the Accident mortgage talk and text line all right your reaction to what is continuing to go on in Washington now how damaging is this to president trump will this ultimately be the end of the trump presidency either leading to impeachment or i mean is he just going to be politically a dead man walking is Michael Cohen is he gonna to be to Donald Trump what John Dean was to Richard Nixon? How how is this testimony playing in your mind? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty, back with calls in a moment. It's twelve twenty seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Jason in Kenosha. Hi, Jason. How you doing? Good. How big a deal is this gonna be?
1: Well, I don't, I'm not sure that I can answer that question. It's a, you know, we're going to have to wait until the fallout of it. The point I wanted to make was, uh, you were talking about his bad look for the law. Yep. But once Trump and Cohen conspired together to, I can't remember exactly, it was an election fraud, whatever it was, when he paid off uh, Stormy Daniels, mm-hmm. then his uh, attorney-client privilege was broken, because when, when Cohen agreed to the plea deal, he was... Uh, forced to tell the truth whenever asked, including questions about Trump. So even though it was a bad look for the law in itself, because he's he's saying things that his client said to him, you know, in confidence mm-hmm. years ago. Yep. Um. That's why you don't conspire with your lawyers to commit crimes, because then you run the risk.
4: Well,
0: I mean, look, Jason, I mean, let me let me kind of be clear about this. That I, my understanding is a long time ago the, the White House waived attorney-client privilege, so it in a, in a technical sense are they going to go after Cohen and try to disbar him for that? No, he's disbarred for other things. But I'm just thinking for the average person to look at this and say, gosh, okay, here I have a situation where I I tell my attorney things like this, and then I find out that he breaks bad on me eight or nine years later. Now, as to your point about, you know, does, does it break an attorney client privilege when you have the lawyer who conspires with his client? Well, as to, arguably, as to the criminal activities. Now, by the way, I don't accept the premise that the payments to Stormy Daniels, and I've talked about this before, are, are necessarily criminal. I, I, and a lot of legal scholars, even though Cohen wanted this case to go away and he ended up pleading guilty, a lot of people don't think that those payments, as a matter of law, are, are ultimately a crime. But, but any waiver of attorney client privilege would only be as to the criminal thing, not, gee, um, you know, he told me in 2008 about, you know, how he couldn't believe he got this tax return from the IRS. See, cause that, that's, That would still be something that's subject to privilege, but I don't want to get too hung up on that other than I think that there's lots of people watching this going, man, you mean I can be telling these things that I think are going to be in confidence to my attorney, and then, you know, the guy breaks bad on me and he ends up testifying there? But, of course, the larger issue is, is this going to be damaging to the president moving forward? You know, is is this – going to be and i am old enough to remember during the watergate investigation when you had john dean who was the attorney he was white house counsel and he's the one that came in and you know essentially blew the whistle on the whole watergate thing saying hey i went into the president of the united states i told him there was a cancer on the presidency and this is when i told him this is, is this the watergate moment uh, let's talk to al in wales al you're on wtmj hello hi al what do you think
2: <clears throat> hi jeff First of all, sir, I listen to you every day, uh, although I totally agree with you. Your republicanism is coming out, Jeff. Um, He is not violating client privilege, attorney-client privilege, because he's not an attorney.
0: Well, but he was an attorney when the conversations were held.
2: Well, he's not telling he's not telling all this when he is an attorney.
0: But that, that well, that doesn't make any difference. It doesn't go away just because you get disbarred. Now, th- th- I, I, I mean, look, I, again, I, I don't want to get too hung up on on this because it's my understanding the White House waived attorney client privilege a number of years ago. I'm just uh, a number of months ago. I'm just saying that from my perspective watching this. I think an average person sees this and says, oh gosh, what are the limits? And I, I thought the stuff that I told my attorney was going to be in confidence. I, I think that's getting lost here. But no, to answer your point directly, ju- just because you give up your law license or get this barred doesn't mean that conversations you had with a client <laughs> you know, when when you were an attorney, that doesn't mean that that privilege just all of a sudden go, goes away. Now, again, the, the Trump admin, Donald Trump, apparently, I think, waived this a long time ago. But it's just it's the larger, more overright-reaching point. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That's the AccuNet Mortgage talk and text line. Again, here's how big a deal is this ultimately going to be? Let me see. We got lots of text on this, Jeff. Cohen and Trump, it's not a big deal. I could not care less. Cohen will get a reduced sentence, throw Trump to the wolves. He'll come back leading the pack. Everyone thinks Trump won't survive the storm until they realize Trump is the storm. Huh. Uh, Kevin and Racine text. Jeff, I have two thoughts on this. Cohen is a slime ball. Um, this is so unethical. The other is that our president is a despicable human being, a pox on both their houses. Well, I, I think. I understand exactly where Kevin is coming from. Again, po- politics aside, politics aside, you, you get the idea that Michael Cohen and Donald Trump, as individual, as people, kind of deserve each other, perhaps. Chris in New Berlin. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi,
1: good afternoon.
2: I've got to say that this is going to have zero effect. You keep saying politics aside. Trump isn't a politician. He's a businessman, and that's what he's hired for. He is who he is. None of this is news to people that voted for him, and none of this is news to people that didn't vote for him. What broke on Watergate was a criminal activity in the president that no one expected. Gary Hart lost Frontrunner's
1: status because he had an affair but denied it. He tried to be one thing he wasn't. Trump right. is who he is. This is not news on either side
0: yeah i mean right i mean i and i am this, i'm sort of looking at some of this stuff i mean we you know when i like he says well I, i'm calling him a con man because he says he's brilliant but then oh. he told me to he, he told me to threaten you know his different schools about not releasing oh. his grades well it's like okay who cares about that one way or the other i guess if if you don't like president trump that's going to be more ammunition and if you do like him it's like who cares buying
2: a story to spike it well that's just good business and that happens on all sides and Nothing's really
0: news. Well, I mean, thanks. You know, that that is the other interesting point. It does, I mean, I understand this is being called hush money. Now, just, you know, my 60-second analysis of the whole Stormy Daniels thing, first of all, do I believe the president when he says he didn't have a one-night stand with this, you know, this uh, pornographic film actress at a golf tournament in two thousand seven or two thousand and eight went no, of course I don't believe him I, I have no doubt at least in my mind, my opinion is it probably happened do i i the, to me the amazing thing is that they they were apparently worried about this during the campaign because candidly, and I've argued this before, I don't think there's one person, not one person who wouldn't have voted for Donald Trump if he came out and acknowledged yes, in two thousand seven or two thousand eight i I slept with this woman. You know, after this golf tournament, that I mean, people knew what type of person Donald Trump was, and they voted for him anyways because I believe they just they didn't like Hillary Clinton. To me, the election was more of a repudiation of Clinton than anyone else. But that's why this all this consternation about the the whole idea of. You know, we you know paying her hush money, and and you are exactly right when you say that, I understand it gets called hush money, but it, there there's these confidentiality agreements that are all the time here. You know, you you know we're gonna we're gonna buy your story. Okay, we don't want this going public. We're gonna settle this lawsuit. That's fine. You know, you've got this claim. We'll give you a hundred thousand dollars, but as part of you taking the payment, you agree that you're not gonna talk about it. That is a common sort of arrangement. four one four 1620 Let's talk to Lucy on the West Side. Lucy, you're the voice of reason. What do you think?
5: <laughs> it pains me to say this because I detest Donald Trump. However, I'm afraid I think Michael Cohen comes across as damaged goods himself, that he's, he's just one of them. John Dean was very different. I'm old enough to remember John Dean. Mm-hmm. Um, he, came, he came across... As a decent young man who got ensnared in something way above his pay grade mm-hmm. saw the saw the light and came forward and told the truth it didn't didn 't hurt that he looked kind of like a choir boy and still does um, Cohen comes across his part it 's like a scene from the Godfather <laughs> yeah. when, when you watch it when you watch him talk and i mean i I want somebody to bring Trump down on the merits. Um, Right. I think he's a terrible president and a terrible person, but I don't think that Michael Cohen um, can be compared right. to John Dean. You're not
0: you're not hitching you're not hitching your star to to Michael Cohen. In other words, to bring down Donald Trump. Right. So. Yep. Yeah. No. I think. Well. I think. And I think that's. I, I think that that's fair. Now. I. I, I've got to be really careful because I am surprised at Trump's resiliency, I fully admit. Remember when that Access Hollywood story broke a few years ago? We were, we were working together then, right? Okay, you know, and there, there was like the, the surreptitious tape that circles about Donald Trump talking about this. I, I admit, I thought this guy is toast. And I think the electorate's disdain for Hillary Clinton was so great that, that it wasn't. I don't know that Cohen is breaking any sort of new ground today, because, again, I at least the stuff I watched the first hour or two, most of it is just kind of, all right, the, the guy's sleazy. Donald Trump was sleazy. I did sleazy things for him. I don't know that he's breaking any sort of new ground. I, I guess, to me, the effect of today is... If you don't like Donald Trump, you now have more ammunition, you know, to to suggest and to explain why you don't like him. If you do like Donald Trump and you like his policies, I think most people that like his policies acknowledge that he is a very, how can I say this, best-case scenario, an extremely flawed human being, and a lot of this stuff is coming out. Does he survive? Well, my, my tendency is to think that – I. Here's what's been going on. The last month or so since the State of the Union, it's been a pretty good time for Donald Trump. You know, his poll numbers have been up. Democrats have been shooting themselves in the foot with this Green New Deal and some of the other things. So this is an effort to try to, I think, recapture some momentum. Will it do so short term? Probably long term. I don't think this is the smoking gun that brings him down. 1246, Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, glad to have you with us. All right. I, I, I was talking about the, this Green New Deal, which is one of the things that the, the new liberal firebrands who are really kind of roiling the Democratic Party. There, there is an interparty war that is going on now. You have some of the more moderate Democrats who come from more conservative. See, I continue to believe that we are essentially a center-right country. I, I believe that. But, you know, you do have room for center-left politicians. Bill Clinton was a center-left politician. Well, now you have this new breed of Democrat who, they're they're socialists, or they want to be socialists. And they're far left, and they want to take the country in a direction that the country has never been willing to go. And so they're floating all these ideas out there. The one thing is this Green New Deal. And we've talked about this before. This is the one where we guarantee everybody an income, even if you are unwilling to work this is the one where we do away with airplanes so we want to because we want to eliminate our carbon footprint so we're all going to be taking trains across the country you know i mean just just craziness i actually like even one of the democrats representatives from hawaii said well this idea of eliminating airplanes it's, it just doesn't kind of work cuz you know hawaii is an island how are we going to get here but i mean it's just complete and total silliness and there's a new number that's out there, this Green New Deal that they're floating. The estimate is that it would cost somewhere in the area of 93 trillion dollars, uh, to try to implement that. That means $600,000 per household. $600,000. Per household. So you can understand why there's a lot of more mainstream Democrats in Congress who are trying to get the conversation away from this kooky stuff. I mean, and it is, it's capital K kooky stuff that's coming from, again, this radical. Element that's been a, that's you know now has a foothold in Washington and back onto issues like okay, is, is Donald Trump a sleazebag in his personal life? And how can you say that he's not when you look at how he these people he associates with, with Michael Cohen? But we're trying to again move away from some of the, the crazy stuff that's out there. And on this program, we're, we're not going to have that conversation because I will tell you moving forward again, politics aside. I don't care if you're a Democrat or an Independent or a Republican. There are some people who are leading presidential candidates who want to take this country in a direction that we have never been before, a direction that, in my opinion, would absolutely and totally destroy the capitalist system and, for the majority of us, reduce our quality of life. And that's the thing that needs to be called out. It's 1252. (laughs) This is Jeff Wacker. Coming up in the next hour, one of the people who wants to be president says it's time to legalize sex work. In other words, why are we making a big deal out of Robert Kraft deciding he wants to drive 30 minutes to a massage parlor? Why don't we just legalize this? We're going to talk about that in just a couple minutes. The city of Milwaukee, the Common Council, has just Passed a new ordinance, and it goes to the mayor for signature. What this does is it bumps up the maximum fine for for littering from twenty-five dollars up to five hundred dollars. Right, so right now you litter in the city of Milwaukee, it's a twenty-five dollar fine. After this, you litter. It's a $500 fine. And one of the members of the Common Council, Russell Stamper, Jr., is an alderman who I agree, disagree with on just about everything. He says he's the guy that's pushing this. He says, well, you know, we need to do this because people are leaving stuff all over and the city a mess. We want to stop littering. All right. I, I am all in favor of that, by, by the way. So, I mean, don't interpret what I'm about to say as a, gee, you're defending littering. I don't care what you do with the penalty. But, but here, this is why a lot of times you have the, these politicians that come up with this feel-good stuff that in the real world isn't going to make any difference. Gru, who's producing the show today, City of Milwaukee is big. Guess how many littering tickets were issued in all of last year? City of Milwaukee's been, just imagine, you walk down the streets of City of Milwaukee, there's crap all over. Okay, so people are littering right and left. Imagine, give me an estimate. How many littering tickets do you think were written in all of 2018? You say 20. Well, okay, no, actually 51. But I mean, my guess is, my guess is, you know, after a Bucks game, you got 50 people that are littering. They only wrote 50 tickets the entire year, and this is its $25 fine. I don't have any problem with jacking the fine up to $500. But is it going to be enforced? Unless you are going to say, this is now going to be a priority, and we're going to go after people who litter, Why bother? It's just a feel good sort of thing. And then let me raise the other issue that's out there. All right. Let's say you have the person who is not of means, you know, living at the poverty level, who decides I've got this crummy mattress that I got to get rid of and I'm going to dump it in the vacant lot at the end of the block. All right, so they're guilty of littering. You give them the $500 ticket, and they say, well, I don't have the money to pay for that. Are we going to aggressively try to collect on all this? See, these are... If if I was in elected office, these are the kind of questions that I would be asking. I mean, I'm not opposed to, hey, let's tighten the limits for Let's raise the penalty for littering. Nobody wants to see people litter. But these are the questions. Are we going to direct the police department to make this a priority? What happens when the people who get tickets for this, as they inevitably will, will be people who don't have the money to pay for the littering citations? What are we going to do then? i got to tell you. This whole thing just strikes me as being, oh, this is gonna be feel good. We're gonna say we're gonna do something about it, but um, when the metal meets the meat, I kinda of doubt it. It's twelve fifty eight. This is Jeff Wagner. So Eric Bilstead, are you with me on this littering question? I mean, I mentioned this at the end of the last hour. But the City of Milwaukee Common Council has just passed an increase in the ordinance. It used to be you get caught littering. And that doesn't it's littering really doesn't matter whether you're throwing the Snickers wrapper or the beer can out of your car window or you're dumping a truck full of debris in a vacant lot. But the fine twenty five bucks. They're gonna increase it to five hundred dollars. Last year, the entire twenty eighteen, authorities wrote fifty one tickets for littering. Now, maybe Eric, you disagree with me. My guess is that, you know, you have 50 people that are littering after any given Bucks game or Marquette game or no, concert at Pfizer. That's I mean, true. you know, they've only issued 50, 51 tickets the whole year. So apparently at a $25 fine, it's not a big deal. So now you raise the fine to $500. Um, I guess, is it feel good legislation? Or, I mean, are we really going to start cracking down on it? And would you ever get that money, depending on who you crack down on? Well, that's, I mean, see, that's the other, I mean, that's the other reality. See, if I was in the Common Council, I'd be asking questions like that. All right, so let's say... You have the guy who's, you know, living on the poverty line, who decides he's got some debris from his place that he's gonna dump at the vacant lot two blocks down, um, and he's driving a beat up old truck from 1990, whatever, and you catch him dumping the mattress and stuff there. You give him the $500 ticket. He's not going to pay the $500. What, what are we going to do? Put liens on the, the junker truck? I mean, how serious is the city of Milwaukee really going to want to be? And have they defined it at all, what littering would mean? Because it Would would it be more of that type of thing where you're dumping than, say, someone throwing a can out the window? Well, see, I'm glad you asked that question because I I actually spent five minutes of my life that I went back this morning. I pulled the city of Milwaukee ordinances on littering, and there, there's no difference. I mean, littering, it, it's the whole range of things. Littering is throwing the beer can out of the car. Littering is dumping the truckload of stuff in the vacant lot. Um, There's really no difference. I mean, it's all littering. And I don't think this new legislation – I think they just raised the fine. I didn't think they changed the definition. And, again, I'm not against cracking down on litter bugs. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm just thinking, okay, if you only wrote 50 tickets when it was a $25 fine – what, what what is going to happen when 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 you start catching people and you start giving mm-hmm. them five hundred dollar tickets and they start flooding into municipal court and the people say five hundred dollars I don't have five hundred dollars to pay right. what are you right. going to do yeah. ah, That's a good I just I rate. that's This is what I'm here for, is to raise <laughs> these particular questions. All right. Now, for the last two days, one of the things that I have been, uh, unfortunately, a conversation I've been dragging Mr. Bilstead in on at the start of certain hours is this whole story with Robert Kraft, the billionaire, and I mean billion, $6.6 billion, uh, owner of the New England Patriots, who's now been been busted in this sting operation that they were running on a massage parlor in a strip mall in South Florida. And it, it, apparently, they got information that the, this was this this was uh, you know one of these quickie rub joint type of places. I guess for better, I, I, I describe it other ways. But you know, people would go in for massages, and when they said full body massages, they meant full body massages. And it was, it was like the strip mall. And apparently, what they had is they had a number of women who they brought in from China who were. Essentially, if not sex slaves close to it, and you had all these people that would drive to this strip mall. I mean, it's just it's almost this kind of mind blowing thing that a guy who's worth six point six billion dollars has his driver drive him a half hour to some massage parlor in a strip mall to, you know, have Whatever was done to him, done to him. It's just, it's just mind boggling that this whole thing would, would go on. And, and it's raising all sorts of questions about, oh my goodness gracious, you know, how, how do you handle all this stuff? But, but there is a larger issue that has now come to the fore. Kamala Harris is one of the people who wants to be the next president of the United States. She's a U.S. senator from California. She was the California attorney general before she got elected to the U.S. Senate. Um, she's out, let's see, yesterday. Yeah, this was Tuesday. And they get to talking about... Robert Kraft, and they get to talking about the, the whole uh, idea of the, the whole sex trade. And here's what she has to say. She says um, that she thinks sex work should be decriminalized. When you're talking about consenting adults, I think, yes, we should really consider that we can't criminalize consensual behavior as long as no one is being harmed. So, the idea would be if you've got consenting adults, if you have an adult, if you have a, a young woman that decides that she wants to make money by working in a massage parlor or You have a young woman that wants to make money by or a young man, for that matter, or an old man or whatever, who wants to make money by, you know, walking the streets as a prostitute. And that's the decision that they are making. Why is that criminal? Why should it be criminal for somebody like Robert Kraft, who decides, okay, this is this is how I want to satisfy my sexual needs. I'm willing to pay for it. They tell me the cost is, you know, 100 bucks or whatever. I'm willing to do it. Should it be a crime? Now, here you have one of the potentially leading candidates to be the next president of the United States who is out there saying, yeah, I I think we need to to look at decriminalizing Consensual behavior, decriminalizing sex work, which means legalizing massage parlors, legalizing prostitution, as they do in a couple counties in Nevada, or at least one county in Nevada. 414-799-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage talk and text line. All right, let's, let's tee this up. Is it, is it time to say now, you know, one of the big trends we, we have nowadays is, well, you know, if you're adults, And you want to do this, and you want to make this decision, you know, why not? Are our laws against, again, prostitution, massage parlors, things like that, are they antiquated? And if these women want to make a living doing this, and the guys want to pay them money to do it, does the government, is should the government be saying no? Camilla Harris seems to be thinking, well, you know, I think there might be a point here. 414-799-1620. Is it time once and for all to say, yeah, all right, if they're consenting adults, let's legalize all this type of behavior? We discuss in a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 115. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Jason in New Berlin. Jason, good afternoon.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. And I'd, I'd say they absolutely should legalize it. I am an Army veteran that was uh, stationed in Germany, and how they had it set up, it was incredibly well. I don't know why they couldn't set something like that up in America. I mean, prostitution is the second oldest profession there is.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> So the whole idea, well, I mean, I, I'm, as part of our, our river cruise this year, we're going to Amsterdam. And I, I have never been to Amsterdam before, but I'm told that there is a red light district in Amsterdam where you can pretty much find somebody who'll do pretty much anything you want them to do if you've got enough money. <laughs>
2: And it was cheap.
1: It was $25. And I'll tell you, the prostitutes are better in Germany than they are in Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam myself a few
0: times. Let's <laughs> right. well, see. This is, actually, Jason, this is one of the reasons people listen to this program, because we know we've got opinions that the prostitutes are better in <laughs> one place than another. But let me ask you the bigger point. From, from a societal perspective, is, is it a good thing for society, do you think, to have areas where people can go and, and, and buy sex, essentially?
1: Absolutely. It's going to happen anyways. So why not try to keep it above board? Like they tested all the women there for STDs. Mm -hmm. They had security. They had it run somewhat like a normal business. Mm -hmm. Why why not run it like that instead of having it like on the back page where they're meeting in some hotel somewhere? Who knows what happens? This way, at least you have the government. People have some kind of control. The business owners have some kind of control over it instead of having it in an alley, in a basement, in a hotel where nobody knows what the hell's going on, what could happen.
3: One
0: At of the things that people say is, you know, why should we care about stuff that is done between consenting adults? I guess that the, the question, though, is that, I mean, a lot of the women and I guess the men that get drawn into the, the sex trade. Are they really consenting? I mean, you have these 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 people, for example, at the massage parlor in Florida who are apparently, you know, brought into this country. They've got no money. They don't speak the language. They're they're, you know, essentially forced to to live in the massage parlor on the premises. I mean, is it is it really consenting adults Do people really consent, you think, to get into that line of work?
1: Uh, yes and no, but the thing is, it's it's still illegal and it's still going on. So why not try to have it legal and have some help mm-hmm. for those people that don't want to be in it? So there is an avenue. So there can be organizations that say, mm-hmm. "Hey, we can help you get out of that line of work. We can help you go to school. We can help you A, B, or C."
0: Okay. No, thanks. Well, that that would be, I guess, the argument. the 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 question would be if you if you legalized something like this. Would it expand its use? And I think the answer is is yes. That's when we talk about marijuana. I don't think you can argue if it was legal. I think more people would smoke it. Now, you, some people care about that. Some people don't. But I think if something was legalized, more people would do it. Um, I I do believe, Robert Kraft notwithstanding, that maybe there's people who would be inclined to visit prostitutes or something like that. But who don't do it because it's illegal. They don't want to get arrested. They don't want to see their names in the paper, all those types of things, or hear them on the radio, or, you know, be the subject of national ridicule like Robert Kraft. So if more people would do it, I guess the question then becomes, Would that increase, if you've got more demand, you know, would that mean that you have to increase the supply? Would it put more pressure to go out and try to, you know, get women and men, you know, into this? I mean, do do people voluntarily choose to be prostitutes? 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jay in Milwaukee. Hi, Jay. Hey,
2: thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, Before I state my opinion, I do want to ask. Jason, the veteran, to please call back and uh, even a name and number where he found the $25 process in
0: Germany. <laughs> I, no, no, we don't. <laughs> yeah, and you're, you're wondering what, I know, I was going to say something and now I'll, I'll be in a meeting. Okay, go ahead, I'm sorry, make your point.
2: <laughs> um, for the most part, uh, Jason made pretty much uh, many of the same points I did, um, but it, as far as your question would expand, it would definitely expand the trade. But by doing that, you would be able to vet more people as to whether they're being forced into it or they're doing it voluntarily. Because if they're in a massage parlor and they have to go get a permit, right. then they can vet the parlor and they can
0: vet the individual. And uh, and you can have standards. Like like I'm told, I I have never visited a brothel in my life. I have never, even though I love to go to Las Vegas, I have never been to any of those places. Um, uh, but but yeah, my understanding is they are heavily regulated. There's no question about it.
2: And at the very least, even if they're not going to legalize it, they should at least allow some kind of legal immunity for the men and women who do do the uh, work anyway, because there is violence and there is safety issues for the streetwalkers, mm-hmm. and a lot of them... Men and women are afraid to go to the police with, as they're having been assaulted or raped, because they're afraid that they're going to be arrested. So they should, at least, if they're not going to legalize it, grant them immunity so they can go to the police and find out, find the perpetrator.
0: So you would be in favor of, if not legalizing it, maybe decriminalizing it?
2: Absolutely.
0: Interesting. Thanks for the call. First two callers say, yeah, I mean, they do this in Europe, you have these areas. I mean, is is this now a good idea? I mean, because this is what Kamala Harris is talking about. You know, if, if the billionaire owner of the New England Patriots decides that he wants to drive to a strip mall massage parlor and, you know, get taken care of um, and he's willing to pay for it, should we care about that? Jeff Wagner, back with more calls in just a moment. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, here's my problem with with the. Well, I have multiple problems, but here, here's my my starting point for people like Kamala Harris who call for decriminalizing prostitution, legalizing the sex trade, and the argument is. Well, you know, what consenting adults do, they, they should be, you want to do, they should be able to do. My problem is, how do you determine who really is a consenting adult? I, I mean, and maybe this is just me artificially, and maybe it's just from my outside perspective. I, I don't think men and women voluntarily just say, hey, I, I'm going to wake up one day and you know what? I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to have sex for money. I, I just think if you look at the stories of the majority of people, I don't know, if PolitiFact calls and says, where do you get your information? I'm just going with a gut thing here. I think the majority of people who are involved in the sex trade aren't necessarily people who just woke up and, and chose it. They're in the sex trade because they've been coerced in some fashion, they're stuck in the sex trade because of drug addictions or or whatever. So it's really not a consenting adult situation in the the terms that we typically think about that. It's not like two adults who go out on a date or a series of dates and get involved in a romantic relationship and decide they're going to consummate that relationship. I think if at least my sense is, if you look at the majority of these types of situations, uh, again, it's this unequal type of thing. Ask those ask those women who were brought in from China who are stuck in the massage parlor, don't speak the language, ask them if they're really consenting adults in the fashion that we typically mean consent, and I think the answer is probably no. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on WTMJ.
2: Hey, Jeff. Proponents of this may think I sound like John Lithgow from Footloose, but there are a lot of problems that are associated with prostitution that I don't know firsthand, thankfully, but um, I think I fear a lot about blackmail being linked with prostitution and extortion and, of course, venereal diseases.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, thanks to culture. I mean, here's here's the deal, and I I have a text that makes this point. If you legalize anything, it becomes normalized, And, and I guess are we really at this point in our society... Where we decide that we want to normalize the the sex trade. And see, and here it was real interesting because I was watching the district attorney who's handling these prosecutions down in Florida, the Kraft case. And they were saying, okay, well, why? Why are you prosecuting the guys that, I mean, typically you prostitute the, you you go after the prostitutes, the hookers. You, you don't necessarily go after the, the Johns, the people who are paying for this. And he said, look, you know, we're, we're approaching this, you know, from a supply and demand side. We view, Massage parlors, organized prostitution rings, we view things like this as really sex trafficking. We don't buy the idea that it's this completely consensual sort of stuff because most people, again, that are engaged in this just don't wake up one morning and say, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to turn tricks for a living. And rather than normalize it, the idea is what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to go after supply. We're going to try to go after demand. Now, I understand, what is this, the world's oldest profession or second oldest profession or whatever. I understand that you're never going to eliminate it exclusively. I get that. But at the same time, does that mean because you can't eliminate it that it means that you have to embrace it? And and by the way, I mean, do you want... You know, in your neighborhood, do you want prostitutes walking up and down the streets? Do you want a brothel next to your home? Um, I would argue maybe not. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So glad, so glad to have you with, you with us. It's 23 degrees outside. Again, yeah. We're going to get some snow at the end of the week after the snow that we got yesterday. And then then it's going to get, again, bitterly cold. And if you look at the long-range forecast, it's it's not like you're looking at 30s and 40s anytime soon. We're in an incredible cold snap in this winter that just will not end. All right. Interesting story about Walmart. And I understand Walmart is one of those institutions that is perhaps – as divisive as Donald Trump you know people have very very strong feelings about Walmart lots of people just absolutely hate Walmart they view Walmart as this evil empire that has forced i don't know forced small businesses out of existence and is destroying small town america the flip side is Walmart is incredibly successful and the reality is Walmart wouldn't be successful if it wasn't for the fact that people like to shop at Walmart that that's I mean, yeah, I understand the, the local, the old, te- the old appliance store, you know, that was in downtown Main Street shuts down because they can't compete with Walmart when Walmart opens up on the outside of town. But why is it? Well, it's because people decide that they'd rather pay $30 for a toaster at Walmart than paying $40 for a toaster at the appliance store downtown. So it, it's, For people who just hate Walmart, I've always said, well, you gotta kinda keep it in perspective. If, if people didn't shop at Walmart, there wouldn't be a business for them. But anyhow, I understand Walmart is extremely controversial. For years and years and years, Walmart has used what they call greeters. You walk into the Walmart store and there will be somebody there who greets you. Welcome to Walmart. You know, do you, what? Can I help you find what you're looking for? And then you say, "I'm looking for this," and then they say it's like aisle seven. The greeters have, and and again, the, one of the things Walmart has done is in in developing this greeting program, they have used this as an opportunity to hire people who might otherwise have trouble getting jobs. Um, for example, lots of Lots of senior citizens have been hired as Walmart greeters. In addition, there have been a number of people that have disabilities who've been hired over the years to work as Walmart greeters. And there's a story, actually I'm looking at this story about, it's a Naperville Walmart, and it's a young man, well, not necessarily so young anymore, his name is Craig Goodwin. Craig Goodwin has cerebral palsy, and for the last 19 years... Craig Goodman, who is wheelchair-bound, has worked as a greeter in in the wo- local Walmart store. You know, and he's done that. He started when he was in high school. You know, now he's in his, his mid-30s. And he, he's worked at essentially the same Walmart. They they switched locations. But, you know, he's he's been there the, the whole time. He remembers customers. He remembers their names. Hey, welcome back. All those types of things. Over the last couple years, Walmart has decided to phase out their greeters program. And now what they're doing is they're going towards a program of what they call hosts. So instead of just welcome to Walmart, you know, you you can find the peanuts in aisle 12 or whatever, the the hosts have a larger range of duties. Yes, they're supposed to greet customers, but they're also supposed to check receipts, you know, like, you know, you're leaving, like they have... You have the people at um, uh, Costco, you know, as you're you're walking out of Costco, there's always somebody there that's going to look at your receipt and match it to your shopping cart to make sure you're not stealing stuff. Um, they, They want to use their hosts to assist with returns, and they also want to use the hosts sometimes to, like, help keep the stores clean and stuff like that. Well, obviously, you understand why they might want to do it. But the reality is, some of the people who've been employed as greeters, including this man who's been the, the, the greeter there for 19 years, who has cerebral palsy, he, he can't do these other things. He, he's fine as long as he's, you know, greeting people, and he's great at that, but he really, because of his physical disability, he can't He can't check the receipts and he can't assist with returns. He just he's not physically able to do that. And apparently there are a number of people who have been working at Walmart as these greeters who are in that same situation. And now they're losing their jobs. And there's this huge undercurrent of people saying hey, this isn't fair to squeeze out these folks with disabilities to the point that Walmart's now said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to put a 60-day moratorium on getting rid of the, the greeters, the people who have disabilities and can't do this other stuff, and we're going to see if we can find other places to put them. But if at the end of 60 days we can't, they're gone. All right, 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. From a business standpoint, the Walmart has always had the greeters, but now they're saying, well, you know, maybe what's the phrase that people use? We need to do more with less or whatever. So um, the, the idea is, okay, we're not going to just, we're going to modify this position. It's no longer just going to be a greeter position. It's going to be doing all these other things as well. Well, the effect of this is that there's a lot of people who've been working as greeters who can't do those other things. And so now they're going to lose their jobs. All right, is Walmart a bad guy for doing this? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. This policy, do more in the job, expanding the job description, is necessarily forcing a number of people out of out of the jobs. People with disabilities and some of the older people who've been working as greeters. All right, should we criticize Walmart for this? Is this insensitive? Or is it just the way of the world? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 145, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Let's start with Todd in Brookfield. Hi, Todd.
3: Hey, how you doing? Yeah. You know, I don't criticize Walmart for this. They just had to change their business model. 25 years ago, they could afford to have individuals out as uh, and goodwill ambassadors, if you will, as right. greeters. It, it was a good image. Right. And it's what they decided to incur as far as their use of resources in their business model. Now, with the competition that they're under and Amazon and the whole shot, if their business model can no longer accommodate that, they have to change it to stay competitive and and profitable. Companies send out ambassadors or, you know, your Wisconsin Energy might send out and have Wisconsin Energy Day at the zoo or something like that. If they stop doing that because of profitability concerns, nobody's on them. They just, mm-hmm. you know, this is something that they can no longer afford to do. Okay, let, Walmart is making the decision that they can no longer afford to have these people specifically just as greeters.
0: Let me share a text I just got. Okay, that makes the opposite point. I want to get your reaction. Jeff, the public relation benefits of keeping these folks on on the payroll far outweighs the economic benefits of letting them go and replacing them. Walmart could use, this is a really good marketing opportunity. Is this potentially a PR disaster for Walmart?
3: I think that that person is making a point, and that quite probably was the decision and the conclusion that Walmart came to 25 years ago when they hired these individuals of limited um, contribution, if you will. Well, just people with disabilities.
0: So there's only so oh, much they can do. Yeah, sure. That's
3: correct. It's, it's, that's a reality. So Walmart made that decision under their business model 25 years ago. That does not necessarily mean, I mean, Walmart people are sharp financially. So right. it isn't as if they haven't taken into consideration what the value of the goodwill is of having these greeters there. Right. So Walmart's making the financial decision that is contrary to what your person texting in made, and I guess Walmart's making the decision based on their review of their books and their actual numbers. This person's using their opinion and trying to convert right. it into factual data.
0: Got it. Okay, no, thanks for the call. No, I, I get it. Okay, 414 and I do. So, I mean, that, that's really the fundamental issue here. Um, We're... How, how do you work this out? Walmart clearly wants to change the job description, going from greeters to something more more broad. Here, we want you to be checking the receipts, and we want you to be helping you know, keep the aisles clean and things like that, which is beyond the capabilities of some of the people that they've been hired as, as greeters. Um, not everybody, but at least some. Let's talk to Randy in Milwaukee. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hello. What do you think?
1: Uh, I think it's a kiss of death for Walmart in a lot of ways because the greeters usually know where a product is that I'm looking for, and I'm a ten point veteran, uh, disabled vet from uh, Vietnam era, so I'm getting old, and I don't know. I don't want to go traipsing around the entire store looking for something that costs a buck and a half. Right, I'll go someplace else and buy it. You know, because the greeters are not just greeting you a lot of times. Which they do, but they also know where the products are in the store. Usually,
0: oh yeah, I mean, yeah. and a lot. Of, I mean, a lot of like the, the the young man that I'm talking or the man I'm talking about here. I mean, he's been at he's been at that Walmart store for twenty years. You know, so he knows the customers. He knows where everything is, so you can go in and say, "Hey, I need a bicycle tire or a bicycle pump," and he's going to be able to tell you it's aisle twelve towards the back.
1: Yep. Yeah, I understand okay. what you're saying.
0: Got it. Okay. Uh, no, got it. Thanks for the call. 414-799-1620. Rain in Wausau. You're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi,
2: Jeff. Thanks for taking my call.
0: It's going to be 13 below in Warsaw on Sunday night, I am told. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's no joke. <laughs> I'm sorry. What do, you, what do you think about this?
2: Um, I think that it's kind of a, you know, sad sign of the age, but, I mean, when you know, mechanization takes place and all this other sort of things happen, like, you know, people are going to be displaced. Um, yeah. If, you know, if we want to organize our society so that these disabled people can, you know, contribute and then maybe put tax incentives in place for Walmart to keep them on the payroll, then, you know, more power to them. But, you know, mm-hmm. badmouthing them or, you know, saying ill about them because they're doing things that make sharp business sense. I mean, I don't think that that's prudent uh, that's or wise.
0: Right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad. I mean, thanks. For, I'm glad you called because you actually just raised the the larger point that I wanted to try to make out of this conversation. Now, here, here's the bottom line: If I were Walmart, I would. I would be phasing this in gradually. For for example, I I understand why they're doing it and I don't think they're the bad guys in doing this. Again, it's just like you're talking about, this is the business model that's there and again, we we keep hearing this all the time. You need to do more with with less and you know, you need to expand the job description and if that means that there's some people who get kind of caught up in that, unfortunately that that's where society's going. You know, you're you're going to be seeing you're going to be seeing a lot of this going on, I, I think, in a lot of the service industry. I, I've i been making this point for everybody who's arguing $15 an hour for fast food workers. I mean, be careful what you wish for because there is this thing called, you know, mechanization that, that, that's out there, and you're already starting to see it. You know, you're going to have these business owners who sit there and say, okay, well, if I have to pay $15 an hour for help plus benefits or whatever – or I can put in a kiosk where, you know, people can just order from the kiosk. And yes, it's going to take them a little getting used to, but I can do that and it's going to cost me $5,000. Hey, what's the payback period? Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll get my investment back in, you know, seven or eight months. And then after that, I'm saving all this money. This is the, this is the future and it's just the, the reality of what is happening. Now, if I were Walmart, here is what I would do. I would, I understand this program, I think I would probably, from a PR perspective, I would, for example, look at some of my greeters. And I'd look at, for example, this guy who's been there going on 20 years, who's well-liked, does a great job. And I I try to say, you know what? All right, we're going to let this guy have his job. We're going to work around this. You know, we're going to, We are going to work with him and we're not going to sack him. You know, we maybe I don't know if the phrase moral obligation. I don't know if companies have moral obligations, but I, I think if I were Walmart, I'd say, okay, we're going to look at this as a case by case basis and decide, you know, what we're going to do with this. Now, maybe when this man decides that he wants to leave the job or whatever, well, maybe then you replace him with with somebody different. You you change the job description and Again, I I think that would be something from a PR perspective that would be – Smart. Do you need to do everything overnight? This is the reality. It's what's going to happen. This is the new, you know, it's going to be the new thing for Walmart as you move forward. And you can understand why they're doing that. I would be really, really careful, though, about moving out the people that have been there for years. Again, even if you're legally allowed to do it, it seems to me it's a PR nightmare. I hope this young man's able to keep his job. And you kind of work around that. And then at some point in time, he's going to leave the job. He he will at some point in time. At that point, okay, then then you bring in somebody else and you expand the, the duties. But for the time being, I hope they find a way for this guy to keep his job and for similarly situated people to keep their jobs moving forward. Then maybe you make the change. That's me, and I'm spending Walmart's money. I guess one fifty three. Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 Matter of fact, I just sent out a, a tweet. with a link to this story about Milwaukee deciding that they're going to crack down on litterers. And the way they're doing it is they're going to increase the fine from $25 to 500 bucks, which is fine with me. I have no problem with it. People shouldn't be littering. But th- they only wrote 50 tickets all last year for littering. All right, and that's at $25. You know, what? are they going to really write more than that? Or is this just feel good legislation? And what happens when the people who get caught for littering come in and they can't pay the fines? Are we going to put liens on their property? I mean, it's just, it's all these different types of things and, uh, if you want to see the, the, the story about that, again, you can follow me. It's at Wagner 620 Also, when you go to our webpage, WTMJ.com, you can check on the mobile apps. I know a number of people do this because they get to see the numbers every uh, month. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast of this program. One of the first things my outstanding producer, Gru, does after every show is post the podcast. So he's going to all the trouble to post the podcast. So we really much appreciate you listening to it. So it 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 works out. It it justifies the effort he puts in and continues to justify all the money that Good Karma Brands pays him to be my producer. So, you know, give Gru a little bit of love and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Let me take you back to April of last year, April of 2018. You uh, might remember the situation where uh, former First Lady Barbara Bush passed away at the age of 92. There was a college professor from California who, her name is Randa Gerard, who decided that she wanted to weigh in on the passing of, of Mrs. Bush. Now, I, I don't remember much from my high school Latin classes. I remember in Vino Verum, which means in wine there is truth, and I also remember how to say, speak nothing but good of, of the dead. And, and that's something that I've tried to live by. Well, okay, Barbara Bush passes away, and this college professor, Randa Gerard, takes to Twitter to say that Barbara Bush was a generous and smart and amazing racist who, along with her husband, raised a war criminal. And she uses a word that I can't say on the radio, out of here with your nice words. She went on to, you know, talk about... Um, the people that then criticized her, uh, she says, I'm happy the witch is dead. I can't wait for the rest of her family to fall to their demise the way 1.5 million Iraqis have. She says, I'm happy that George W. Bush is probably really sad that his mother died right now. Okay, remember that controversy, and this is the woman. And there were a number of people who were saying, okay, she teaches at a public university, to which her response was, I work as a tenured professor. I make a hundred grand a year doing that. I will never be fired. I will always have people wanting to hear what I have to say. Okay? So she says, I got a, I'm a tenured professor. I can say whatever the blank I want to say, and nobody can do anything about it. And you know what? She was absolutely right. That the powers that be at Fresno State decided that they were going to condemn her, but ultimately said, well, there's nothing we can do because she is, in fact, a tenured professor. And so she, at least the last time I checked, continues to teach there. Now, I bring this up because there's another story that's hitting the news now involving another professor from California. This professor is a professor of poetry. His name is Joshua Clover. He teaches at the University of California Davis, which is the third largest University of California school. You've got it's Berkeley, which is the the biggest one, and then it's uh, UCLA, and then it's UC Davis. And that this is it's in Sacramento, um, kind of right by Sacramento, where the Bucks are playing tonight. As a matter of fact, so. This Clover character, well, he doesn't have a thing with Barbara Bush. He has a thing with police. And what happened was you had one of uh, somebody was kind of digging around and started looking at the various tweets that this professor has been sending out. And you gotta go back a couple years, but it started in 2014. This particular professor does not like police officers. Here's what he, these are some of the things that he has tweeted. I am thankful that every living cop will one day be dead. Some by their own hand, some by others, too many of old age. All right. Sent that one out, tweeted that on November 27th of 2014, December 27th, 2014 tweeted. I mean, it's easier to shoot cops when their backs are turned. No. Then let's see. January 31st of 2016. People think that cops need to be reformed. I think they need to be killed. Huh? I think they need to be killed. All right, so this stuff is now starting to come out. Somebody asked him about it, and he says, I think we can all agree the most effective way to end any violence against officers is the complete and immediate abolition of the police. So here you have this guy who is clearly, you know, a cop hater in the extreme, but also he's making all these sort of controversial things. Well, UC Davis, now that they have been made aware of this, you know, they've come out and said, well, you know what, Um, we... We we disavow this. You know, we disavow this. This does not reflect the position of the university. And, you know, by the way, you know, we, we support the police and we work with the police and all those things. We condemn the statement of Professor Clover to which you refer. It does not reflect our institutional values. We find it unconscionable that anyone we could condone much less appear to advocate murder. All right. So they, they say, well, we're appalled by this. But beyond that, they don't appear to be willing to do anything. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We talk a lot about journalistic freedom, freedom of the press, freedom of expression. Here you have, now this is the second example in a year, of tenured professors at public schools who are expressing rhetoric that I would think would be unacceptable in any sort of civilized way, just, I mean, unconscionable comments. And yet, in this case, because it is comments directed at police officers, just like the woman last year who says these terrible things about Barbara Bush, and nothing happens at all, should they be dismissed? Are these the type of people that should be on the public payroll, is there a limit to what you should be able to say? And let me throw another wrinkle in there. If instead of, for example, this professor calling for the murder of police officers, if instead he had been calling for the murder of persons of color, would he have survived? 414 is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right. Is it time for people like this to go? 215, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. See, here's the problem with all this. That, that, there, are, there are some areas where apparently, in academia is one, where there are no limits on what you get to say and how you can be held accountable for this. And you, come, you see this in many respects, again, with, with this liberal sort of bias. You have this professor who decides to send out these horrific treats, the tweets or interviews talking about how you know he hopes police officers get killed you know best way to shoot police officers is to shoot them in the back and and while the university denounces him for saying things like this well we think this is unconscionable they don't do anything about it now I think there's two interesting points to be made here first of all this again shows I think the double standards that exist if he had said similar things that arguably would have been a lot less objectionable, I mean, uh, not necessarily even talking about, he's talking about killing police officers, but if he had said something that was in any way racist or anti-Semitic or whatever, he'd, He'd be out of there. I mean, he'd be out of there like, you know what, through a goose, and and he should be. I mean, I'm not defending that at all, but this idea that, okay, you can come out, you can preach this particular type of hatred, and we're going to protect you, I, I think is number one. It is appalling. Number two, in most professions... I understand that there are protections that you have to allow you to express your opinion, but still there are limits as to how far that you can go. And when you cross a line. And it's kind of like the Supreme Court used to say, I mean, it's tough to define pornography, but you know it when you see it. When you end up crossing that line, boom, you have to go. And I would argue that in any sort of civilized society, talking about how, gee, if you're going to shoot a police officer, you should shoot him in the back and various things like that. I I think at that point, you know, all right that you've crossed whatever line there is. Here's a text. These people are teaching students that they should be, a- and these two people are teaching students they should absolutely be dismissed. They're not just speaking for themselves. They're reflecting their thoughts and their opinions upon impressionable students. They should be gone. Um, yeah. Jeff, why is this clown not investigated by the feds for terroristic threats Um, You know, so that's, I think, a a valid question that's out there as well. But the frustration that I have is, again, these sort of double standards. And it, it was embodied last year, again, with the woman from you see Fresno, who comes out and says, well, yeah, I'm a tenured professor. I make $100,000 a year. I can say whatever I want. I can be as outrageous as I want. I can be as offensive as I want. They can't do anything to me. And this appears to be, you know, what is going on on a regular basis. Don't try this with your private employer, because if you do, you know, bad things are going to end up happening. But this is one of the reasons why I think people... Lose respect for some academic institutions because they hire people who are just flat out kooks. No question about it. 221, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. John Wayne died in 1978. You know, so 40 so years ago. Um, he was 72 years old when he passed away. He lives on in the movies. John Wayne was an unapologetic conservative. No question about it. And he was also a product of his time, which means that probably a number of the things that John Wayne said today were not only were they not politically correct; they were probably kind of head-scratching things that, uh, again, reflect a different generation. No question uh, about it. So, in Orange County, there is um, there, there's there's a John Wayne Airport. And it's been named after John Wayne. So this is if you're flying out to California, you've got you know LAX, which is the big one, and then you've got a small airport um, a little bit to the south, I believe, and they call it John Wayne Airport. It's been it's been named John Wayne Airport to honor John Wayne since 1979. There is now a controversy involving this naming, and this is kind of the flip side of what we just discussed. When John Wayne was 63 he decided to give an interview with Playboy magazine. And um, the interview was, well, I think extremely controversial. John Wayne, they asked him his position on a number of, of social issues. And needless to say, John Wayne in 1971 is not... The things he said would, I think, by most people's standards, would be cringeworthy. Maybe they were cringeworthy when this uh, edit, when this thing first came out in seventy one, but they're certainly cringeworthy now. For example, um, you know, they're asking him about movies, and he says. Movies were once made for the whole family. Now, with the kind of junk that studios are cranking out, I'm quite sure that within two or three years, Americans will be completely fed up with these perverted films. And the Playboy interviewer says, well, what kind of films do you consider to be perverted? And he says, oh, Easy Rider, Midnight Cowboy, that type of thing. Wouldn't you uh, say that the wonderful love of those two men and Midnight Cowboy or a story about two, and then he uses a derogatory term for gays, qualifies? And he's like, ah, no, Who, who wants to watch those movies? Then they started asking him about racial issues, and he said something about, well, this, this is a quote from the Playboy interview. With a lot of blacks, there's quite a bit of resentment along with their dissent, and possibly rightfully so, but we can't all of a sudden get down on our knees and turn everything over to the leadership of the blacks. I believe in white supremacy until the blacks are educated to a point of responsibility. I don't believe in giving authority and positions of leadership and judgment to irresponsible people. Okay, this is what he says in 1971, and it it goes on. I could read you other examples, but you you get the idea. Anti-gay stuff, definitely racist stuff that's out there, and he is expressing, you know, his, his opinions in this regard. You can argue that these opinions are. Dated. You can argue that these opinions were racist and homophobic, and he shouldn't have expressed them. But he says it. This is an interview in 1971. Well, this interview has now obviously it's been unearthed, and it's getting a lot of attention. There's a number of people who are coming out and saying, okay, because of the sentiments expressed by John Wayne in this interview, we can't allow things to be named after him. And it doesn't matter if he contributed to the community, it doesn't matter that the airport's been named after him for the last 40 years or whatever. Now that these remarks, which have always been out in the public venue, but now that they're getting this attention, this is the time that we have to say, no more John Wayne Airport. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, if John Wayne were alive today and had made these remarks, I I think he would have been roundly denounced and that there's no way that you would have been naming public institutions after him. Well, he, you know, he, he didn't say this now He, he said it you know back in 1971 as part of this interview where clearly he was of a different generation doesn't excuse the remarks doesn't mean that they weren't racist doesn't mean that they weren't homophobic but here you have a guy who was you know in his 60s at the time he said this now that these remarks have surfaced it is now 2019 Do we need to rename the buildings? And this is, of course, an extension of this conversation that we have a lot of times with Confederate monuments and things of the like. Do we judge somebody who passed away 40 years ago by contemporary standards? 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Do we need to take the name? Do we need to essentially rename this airport because of remarks from John Wayne that are now circulating back from 1971 or is this just one where you roll your eyes and say, okay, he was a product of his time. He also accomplished a lot. He did a lot for this community. The airport has been known under this name for a number of years, and renaming it serves no apparent purpose. 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're going to take a very quick break for the news. When we come back, we're going to discuss that. And then lots more coming up on the program as well. But is it time to say no more things named after John Wayne? Do you realize the opinions that some of this that this man held back in 1971? (music) Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Alright, let's go right to the text line here. Uh John Wayne, nineteen seventy one. Really? I'm sixty now. I was thirteen in nineteen seventy one. All in the family. Never it first aired in nineteen seventy one. The show would never get off the ground today. I've grown a lot since nineteen seventy one. I think everyone has. Let it rest and let John Wayne rest in peace. Chris says, um, you know, what's the end game here? Um, I'd rather be living in that era than today's era of overly sensitive people. People need to leave the past in the past. People need to end up getting a life. Another one of our texts here. No, do not rename it. It was 40 years ago. I know these things are wrong, and I agree with that, but that was not all that John Wayne was about. The past is the past. Just leave it there. See, I I, I agree with that, and this is this is the problem we have. When we try to judge current events through a a prism of of 40 years ago, I I understand. I think there's a lot of people that probably would have read that interview in 1971 with John Wayne and said, did he really just say that about gay people? And did he really just say that about black people? But he was reacting to conditions at the time. Now, you can say that this was ill-informed. You can say it was bigoted. It was all those different types of things. But again it was the comment the guy was making at the the time and my guess is that there are people who might have felt the same way about movies like Midnight Cowboy and things like that in 1969 who now have a different view I I guess the problem I have is when you go back and I think I've tried to be consistent about this whether it's a John Wayne airport or whether it's All right, not teaching to kill a mockingbird because, all right, you've got this, you've got use of language, what we all agree is is offensive and wouldn't be acceptable, you know, today, but, you know, it was a product of its time. Or we're not going to teach Mark Twain because Mark Twain used certain language that we all agree by our current standards is offensive, but it was a different time. I've tried to be consistent in saying, look, I, I think you have to be careful about trying to... Judge people who you know have been gone for forty years by the standards of twenty nineteen, and that's not to say that there's anything wrong with the standards of twenty nineteen. It's just you know you you can't sanitize history, and sometimes these are a warts and all type of situation. But whether it's renaming buildings on college campuses to whatever think you have to be careful with that and this particular thing this airport has been the john wayne airport regional airport for the last 40 years and i think i think it should probably continue that way or if you're going to change the name maybe it needs to be based on more than just a stupid interview that john wayne gave in 1971 you know period by the way as long as we're talking about ends of an era Something really interesting happened in Chicago yesterday. Chicago, all right. The when when you say Chicago and you think about the mayors of Chicago, I mean, typically you you think there's one name that comes to mind. It, it's Mayor Daley. You had you know Richard Daley, who was the the mayor of Chicago for like ever, and then later on you had his brother you know Richard M his son Richard M Daley who was the, the mayor as well. So the Daley's have a long tradition of dominating Chicago mayoral politics. Um, the most recent mayor was Rahm Emanuel, who was again the um, chief of staff for Barack Obama for a while. Um, Emmanuel, after two terms, decided that he wasn't going to run again. And so you had this open primary for the mayor. You had 14 different candidates who ran. And I think a lot of the smart money thought that one of the two candidates that would emerge from the primary, and the way it works in Chicago is, if you get 50% plus one vote, you, you win. You are the mayor. If you don't get 50%, then it's the top two finishers. Well, one of the, the candidates was William Daly, and William Daly was the youngest son of Mayor Richard Daley and the the brother of the other Richard Daly. So his dad was the mayor, his brother was the mayor. Daly is the big name in Chicago politics. Um, William Daley was he was a lawyer he was the chief of staff to barack obama for a couple years from in january of 2011 to january of 2012 he was the u.s secretary of commerce under bill clinton um so you know here you have this guy that's got this incredible legacy he's got this big name and he is a daily and i think most of the smart money. He was also incredibly well-funded by far and away the the biggest war chest of any of other candidates that were running. No surprise, because he's got all these ties. Well, in any event, 14 candidates, and the big shock of the election yesterday was he did not finish first. He did not finish second. He finished third. The uh, two candidates that, that beat him were both What's the phrase? Progressive nowadays. They're, they're both uber liberals. One is somebody who's been around Chicago politics for a long time. Um, the other is a woman who's kind of a newcomer to politics who's running against the machine. Both are African-American females, but Lori Lightfoot got 17.5% of the vote. Tony uh, Preckwinkle got 16.1% of the vote, and uh, Bill Daly ran third ran third, and uh, essentially this is the end of the Daley dynasty in Chicago. And it's got a lot of people scratching their head. For people who are into firsts, however the election turns out, when it's held, what, a month or so from now, this will be the first African-American female who's elected mayor of Chicago. But it comes at the expense of William Daley, and a lot of people are trying to figure out exactly what happened in Chicago. When we come back, Speaking about Chicago and elections, something went on in that election that also goes on in Wisconsin elections. Is it time to stop it? I'll tell you all about it in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. who is producing the show today and always, do you patronize food trucks? You do. You Right. That is... One of the one of the explosions in in dining and things over the last five 10 15 years has been the idea that instead of all right instead of setting up a restaurant where you know people come to you the idea is let's get a food truck and let's take our food to you know to the folks and so that's why a lot of times you will see food trucks that are set up at various events throughout the area also, you will see food trucks set up on a regular basis. I don't know on outside of outside of various stores and various communities. What happens is the food trucks go, they park on the city streets, and then you know they're open for business. They're they're there for a couple hours or whatever. People come up to them and, and they get food. Food trucks have been controversial in, in certain respects. First of all, a lot of times restaurants and And again, this isn't an absolute, but a lot of restaurants uh, don't necessarily like to have a food truck parked on the same block as the restaurant. And the restaurant owners will say, look, you know, we're paying property taxes, all these different types of things. We've got all these expenses. And here you have this food truck. And yes, I know they pay for a permit, but they pull up and they siphon away our business. Not all restaurants feel that way, but that's a controversy. In addition. One of the controversies is these food trucks, typically when they park, they're parking along city streets, which means they're located, they're there for a few hours, or sometimes longer, and that means there's no, they're taking up that parking space. So let's say it's a block, where you've got, I don't know, seven, eight, nine different stores, various stores or whatever. You've got the food truck that's parked on that block. Typically, maybe it's taking up two, maybe more parking spaces. So those are parking spaces that people can't use to park and go in the store. So that's one of the controversies that's there. What just happened is um, there, there's a proposal that's been unanimously passed by the Milwaukee Common Council that will ban food trucks from a one-mile stretch of West National Avenue. Again, this was pushed by you know, Bob Donovan, who said, look, I, I, what I want to do is I want to ban food trucks from operating on West National Avenue um, essentially because it's taking away parking. And we're having these various problems. This is the sixth ban that Bob Donovan has introduced. Um, Food trucks are already blocked from operating on Greenfield Avenue and 35th Street and West Mitchell Street in various areas. And the justification is, you know, again, it's traffic congestion. It's complaints from businesses about loss of parking. Now, it's not just on National Avenue that this has happened. Other aldermen have pushed for bans on food trucks on, you know, other areas. Uh, Brady Street, for example, is, is another one. You've got various areas on 76th Street and Capitol Drive. So it's not just unique to Bob Donovan. There's all sorts of busier streets where food trucks aren't allowed to operate. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Clearly, the trend is moving away towards allowing food trucks to park on city streets, whether it's the city of Milwaukee or elsewhere. My guess is there has been a point in time where you have perhaps patronized a food truck. The question is, Should they be allowed to park on city streets, whether it's in the city of Milwaukee or the city of Mequon or Whitefish Bay or Fox Point or West Allis? Should they be allowed to park on city streets, set up, take away parking from businesses, or if the food trucks are going to operate, should they have to find parking lots or places like that? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you patronize food trucks, do you think that they need to be relocated or, hey, is this just something that brings people, more people into the area? I wouldn't be inclined to go into that particular luggage store, but for the fact that I walked over to be able to patronize the food truck. And I walked over and yeah, I had to walk a little bit. I couldn't park right in front of the luggage store, but I, I came over to get a falafel or I came over to get a taco or came over to get whatever. And once I was there – Then I was closer, I had my lunch, I walked in. All right, do we need to get food trucks off the street? 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How do you handle this? Is it an unfair advantage to the food trucks? Does it create traffic congestion? Does it harm local businesses? Let's start with Brian and Racine. Brian, you're first.
1: Uh, Yeah, I think it should be allowed, uh, you know, Parking is always first-come, first-served, and as long as they're paying for the parking and going with the allotted time slot, that they're long, you know, some places you can park for Mm -hmm. an hour, some places two hours, as long as they're following the rules, uh, I believe it should be allowed.
0: Well, okay, of course, they're they're not parking in the typical sense of they're parking and they're patronizing the businesses. They're parking and then using it to run their own business. Is that making any difference? Uh,
1: no, I don't think so.
0: Okay. So if it, in other words, it's like they they got there and we should treat them the same way we treat you or I who, hey, if we get our parking space, we can feed the meter. And as long as we pay for it, we're entitled to be there.
1: Right. And, you know, it's helping, uh, I mean, it might be hurting some businesses, I mean, a little bit, but, uh, I'm a construction worker. You know, I, I patronize them trucks all the time. They have good food. And uh, it's easy
0: access, right? So, well, right. Um, th- thanks. For, I mean, see, I do, I do think some of these concerns are a little bit short sighted because, yes, I, I understand why. All right, you might say, "Gee, I'm, this truck parks if okay." So, I'm I'm running I'm running Jeff's Dry Goods Store. And I can understand maybe the frustration, hey, I, I've got this food truck that's parking in front of my dry goods store, you know, every day and it's there from eleven until 1.30, so somebody that wants to come patronize my store can't park right in front of the store. I understand that argument. The flip side though is that well, maybe this is bringing in people. You know, the people that are going to come and they're going to patronize this and they're going to eat the food, they're, maybe they're more likely then to say, hey, I would never have otherwise come into Jeff's Dry Goods store, but I'm here. All right, Texts. The food truck is paying a state vehicle registration as well as a city of Milwaukee wheel tax. It should be able to park anywhere that any other car can park. Another text. If they are buying permits, they should be allowed to be there. Well okay here, here here's how here's how I would analyze this I think the biggest concern is is this is it causing a traffic problem See that's I think that's that's always that's always a factor is it a traffic problem is this particular vehicle too big for where it's parked? Is it something that's difficult to navigate around? Is it too big for the parking space? Those types of things. If it's causing a traffic problem and a safety problem, well, then I I think it's perfectly fine to say we we don't want this here because, again, it's it's causing the traffic problem. If it's not causing the traffic problem and it's simply, well, concern about, well, we've got some of these area businesses that don't like the fact that, okay, they're running a restaurant and then you've got this other restaurant that's on the street – I think that's a completely and totally different concern, so I think it's going to vary. Here's another text. Jeff, I don't think food trucks should be able to park in front of other businesses um, um, or within a block or two of businesses. I mean restaurants. I happen to be in a particular profession, the city of Milwaukee, for 35 years. Um, There were times when people – he was in the car business. He said people would park – cars in front of my business or across the street with for sale signs on it. That's totally wrong. Um, I I think that's the equivalent of setting up the food truck. I, I guess I disagree with that to an extent because the food truck, I mean, they're paying permitting fees to operate on the streets. Now, it might be that those permit fees should be increased. Maybe they're not paying enough. But I guess I think this is one of those things where it's something that people want It increases demand. And the more stuff, as far as businesses being hurt or whatever, I think the more things that they have going on that attract people to a different area, the better off that you are. You want people coming in, and if food trucks bring people in, I think that's good for the businesses. So I guess, would I ban food trucks from streets? No, unless... The food trucks, the nature of the business, etc., is causing some sort of, again, traffic hazard and a safety hazard. That's a different story. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. John McCure. In the House.
4: Yeah, Jeff, I I think that's a very valid point. And uh, we're going to discuss that and much more with Congressman Sean Duffy. Sean Duffy is with us live this afternoon at 320. Also, Sean Duffy had an interesting decision to make yesterday. So the president's national emergency declaration was before Congress. And a couple of Wisconsin Republicans sided with Democrats in voting no. Sean Gallagher, uh, Mike Gallagher, excuse me, in the Green Bay area uh, voted that way. Jim Sensenbrenner. And Jim Sensenbrenner. But Sean Duffy voted to side with the president. So we'll talk about that with him this afternoon. We'll keep you updated on the Cohen testimony as that continues. We'll also, during the 3 o'clock hour, be live in Vietnam, where the president is uh, over there getting ready to meet with Kim Jong-un. He already has, actually. That will continue tomorrow. So we will be live in Vietnam coming up at 3.34 this afternoon. And during the 5 o'clock hour, we'll be live at the Combine where the coach has spoken for the Packers, the GM has spoken, and Jason Wildey from ESPN-FM is on the ground. So we will go live to Indy on that story coming up at 520. Very busy news day at WTMJ. We have got you covered. It's up next, straight ahead. Why do you have a sword, Ben? Kneel before me, faithful servant. Okay.
1: I knight thee, Sir Arvid the Magnificent.
5: What's going on?
1: Behold, Lady Nicole, the luminescent. Okay. This has something to do with the Larkin Bedroom collection, doesn't it? Thou art perceptive.
5: The Larkin Bedroom is a bedroom fit for a king.
1: This Louis-Philippe-inspired post bed with solid wood wraparound encasement would look right at home in a medieval castle.
5: Complete with full extension drawer glides,
1: forever tight bed brackets, and drawer bottoms thou can standeth on.
5: It's great. Grandiose design is timeless, bold, and stunning.
0: Yes, it's where I layeth my... Ro-